listening to Reality with Lana Lynette, and today we're going to be talking about dating versus courting, the secular worldview of dating versus the biblical worldview of dating. Have you ever noticed that the way the world sells love is a big fat lie? Because same, we've been conditioned to think that the heart wants what it wants. Believe it or not, relationships are not all about feelings. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? A lot of times you'll hear people say things like, I know what I want now, which is one of the many problems that we have today in the dating scene because we are wired to think that relationships are about what we want versus what we need. And there is a big difference. Our hearts crave things that immediately satisfy it. And a lot of times those things are superficial. Looks, money, influence are just a few examples. Our hearts also default to a state of self-preservation. The relationships that the world gives birth to are self-centered. That's why human beings have trouble committing to another person because they are already too committed to someone else, their self. Ding, ding, ding. Relationships are a big fat mystery, a giant jar of complexity. What we tend to do is admit defeat in the face of mystery and complexity. And so we throw our hands in the air and hope for the best. Um, And we do that with our relationships, which is probably the worst thing to do that with. Relationships require intentionality, both for your sake and those around you. Throughout this podcast, you might hear me go back and forth between the term biblical dating and courtship. I use these terms interchangeably because some people may not understand what courting is. However, I do mean both in the same capacities. Alrighty, so secular dating versus biblical dating. These are two very different concepts. The reality is this. The world sees dating as something recreational, while the word of God sees courtship as something with potential. Secular dating is conditional based solely on how you benefit or what you can get out of a relationship. Secular dating is about expecting. It's about serving the God of self. It's all about me, 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 me. Whereas courting is unconditional based solely on how you can bless someone else and what you can contribute to a relationship. Courting is about giving. It's about serving someone besides yourself. It's all about this person will be better because of you. Dating is confusing. No clarity on where it's going next. A lot of times it's done in secret so that there's no accountability from family members, parents, friends. Dating often has no boundaries or very loose boundaries. Dating mostly entails experimenting physically. Dating is basically like renting a car. You pretend like it's yours forever, but then you trade it in and sign over a different lease or sign for a different lease, a different vehicle. A courtship, there is clarity in the relationship about what the intentions are of both parties and where things are going. It's also done in community, as in you aren't hiding one another or doing anything in secret. 
parents, friends, family members are also involved. Courting mostly entails getting to know someone spiritually, mentally, getting to know their character. The boundaries are clearly defined and set in a healthy way, and both parties strive to keep those boundaries intact because both parties want to want that relationship to be successful. There's a motivation to keep the boundaries intact. So then what is the purpose of a relationship? What is the true purpose of a relationship? Because oftentimes, we don't really know. Culture has completely obliterated the meaning of relationships. The world seems to think it's about gaining experience, figuring out what you like, being physically intimate, being happy, not being alone, just having someone to do stuff with uh, that you want to do. But the Bible tells us why God created relationships in Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So after this declaration is made, God performs the first surgery. Pretty sick, and I always have to point that out. Uh, This is actually where we got the idea for anesthesia for surgery, when God puts Adam to sleep to remove one of his ribs. So in verse 18, God removes the rib from Adam, and he uses that rib to create Eve in verse 22. This is incredible for two things. One, Adam and Eve understand that they are uniquely joined together, that they are literally made for each other. Number two, the rib protects the most vital parts of your body. It protects your internal organs. This distinguishes not only equality, but it distinguishes trust. It's very, it's a very personal part of the body. God could have made Eve out of a big toe, an elbow, uh, an ear, but God designed man and woman to be equal while also intending them to be very different in design. Because of that, they had to rely on one another to fulfill God's original design. Culture has conditioned us to take relationships too lightly, and that's exactly the issue. When you take things lightly, you're not taking them seriously. Pretty simple. No matter how old you are, you should be asking yourself this question, are you ready to date? And I say that because you might be a young teenager, you might be your late 20s, your 30s, it doesn't matter. You have to ask yourself, am I really ready to date? And take into consideration all of the factors that are involved there. From personal experience, I believe that this requirement is a surefire way to find your person and to have a successful and happy relationship with them. So what is the prerequisite? It is to know who the Lord is. When we know who God is, our whole perspective in life changes because we come to understand the unconditional love of the Lord. At the beginning of this episode, I mentioned how the world has twisted and corrupted what love is or what love means. The Lord is love. What better way to learn about love 
than from love. 1 John 4.16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. When I fell in love with Christ, I kid you not, my heart expanded a billion times its size because that's what, that's when I understood what sacrificial love meant, what unconditional love meant. If you go and ask my boyfriend, he will literally tell you that he is dating a completely different person than who he was dating before. I was doubtful and unsure of my purpose, which made me unsure of my purpose in a relationship. It was hard for me to love past physical touch or understand what love was past physical touch. I was reluctant and hesitant to commit to putting someone before myself. Uh, Ultimately, I didn't understand the feeling of being important, loved, or special in someone's life because I had the idea that if you got something, you had to give something. At times, I was mean, impatient, unforgiving, and, and not understanding. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So I promise you that if you read the Bible and learn from Jesus what love is, but also if you pray and ask God if you are ready, it's amazing what God will reveal to us when we are fervent in our pursuit of him. That lengthy prerequisite, we arrive at number one, which is to know what God's intention is for you. When we know this, we know what our priorities are supposed to be. We know how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. We know that we are made in the image of God. And we know that every fiber of our being was strategically knitted together before we even took our first breaths. That means that the Christ follower knows that they are a daughter or son of the king of kings and should conduct themselves as such. Sons of the king are called to be respectable, honorable, reflections of the king of kings, while daughters of the king are called to know that know what their worth is because of how precious they are to the king of kings. By knowing these truths, your expectations in a partner increase tremendously because women will not look for someone who treats them less than a daughter of the king. They will look for someone who treats them as their heavenly father treats them. Not your earthly father, your heavenly father. Men will be humbled by the example of the king of kings, looking inwardly at the heart, not outwardly at appearances when looking for their life partner. Above all, the person you are with should have God first in their life. Don't follow a man who isn't following God. Don't partner with a woman who does not have God as her first love because ultimately, if anything else is priority above Christ in their life, then that person is struggling spiritually. Next to knowing God's intention for you is knowing what God's 
standard is for you. When we know the Lord, we know what the standard is. Women know what to look for in a man. Men know the standard of a good woman. God designed man and woman to be joined together in marriage. Marriage is modeled by the covenant God makes to Israel. God is the husband. Israel is the wife. Just as Jesus is the husband and the church is the wife. We see in scripture that the wife has an important duty to submit to her husband just as the church submits to Christ. We also see that in scripture that the husband has an important duty to love his wife just as Christ loves the church. The reality of this exchange is that both parties are humble servants to the other. Another important thing to note is that God's standard for you is that you be equally yoked. That means that you must not be joined together with an unbeliever. By doing so, you are corrupting and defiling both your flesh and your spirit because your heavenly father knows that when you are yoked with an unbeliever, that they will ultimately drag you away from a life that pursues righteousness in Christ. Additionally, the father does indeed care Uh, if your earthly father and mother approve of your partner. Parents are commissioned under the orders of God to love and care for and impart wisdom and discernment to you. So God does indeed care if your parents approve. We also need to know the weapons of the evil one. The most prominent one being our past. When looking for a partner, it's important to realize that because of sin, the way men and women are raised has a very strong influence on the way that they live their life because of sin's ripple effects. This is extremely, extremely unfortunate because many people do grow up in violent and traumatic homes as well as homes that are sexually abusive. For men, sin's ripple effects tend to manifest as violence, and for women, sin's ripple effects in this area tend to manifest themselves as suggestive behavior. It's important to realize that for these individuals, the enemy has twisted their perception of what love and intimacy really is. So it's really important that we are compassionate to others in the realm of dating. That doesn't mean that you are to be in an unhealthy relationship. It just means that you are to be compassionate. Fortunately, God does indeed bring healing through his son, Jesus Christ. Another weapon of the evil one is our surroundings, the people you hang out with, the things you gravitate to. These are all important things. If you go to a bar to find someone or use a hookup app, then you are probably not going to find someone who is a suitable life partner. Where someone hangs out, who their friends are, what they do daily, these are all telling things about a person because people gravitate to people and places that reflect themselves. The most dangerous weapon, however, are lustful desires. Throwing sex into a relationship is basically setting it up for failure. Culture, movies, music, pop culture, all of it is incredibly deceiving and it's unfortunate that we learn most about relationships through these mediums. 
the sad truth is they are all lies. They say, have sex, it's okay, but the Bible says sin is fleeting and sin is only pleasurable for a season. You can find that in Hebrews 11.25. It always comes to collect its dues. Don't do something because everyone else is doing it or because you're banking on God's forgiveness. These are Satan's two favorite playing cards, okay? Attraction is normal, but we are told to flee from lust, flee from sexual desire. Whether that be in thought or action, we, when we desire something and it arises, we are told to stop whatever is encouraging the sin or inciting the sin and we are told to flee from it. Remember that God knows the heart and the mind. There's no fooling the all-knowing and omnipresent God and creator. On the flip side, there is a huge benefit in not having sex in a relationship. When you don't have sex in a relationship, you know that your partner knows how to control themselves physically. This was one of the selling points for me and my boyfriend. Um, Aside from it being an established law, in the future, you cannot guarantee that your husband or your wife isn't cheating on you when you go to a work trip especially if they are easily aroused or excited uh, sexually. You never know what power someone has over someone in a given situation. And in this way, you know that this person can control themselves, that they are not easily tempted by sin. And so that's a good flip side to being abstinent is it really does help you in your relationship with your partner later on. So if you look around at the state of dating today and relationships today, what are the consequences of dating according to the traditions of man and the world's standards? The easy answer is sin and its ripple effects. Out of everything God has designed, mankind is his greatest, most love creation. That's why God holds to an especially high importance, the topic of relationships, because it involves how we interact with one another, how we treat one another, and it has compounding effects in an intimate relationship. The effects are magnified. So going back to God's design for marriage, we know that God created man and woman to be joined together in a covenant relationship that is inseparable and unbreakable. Within that covenant, God has assigned a special role for women and a special role for man. And the way that God has designed this union is perfect in design. What is the typical way in which society takes God's design and twists it? We take the design and we either swap out the subject or the object. Humanity, in this case, in the terms of relationships, always swaps out the subject for something they consider more desirable. So that could be the opposite sex, restricted ages, animals over people, or media over people. Uh, Humanity also swaps out the object, and the object here is the covenant, when they desire something that is non-committal. So that is premarital sex, Uh, Something that is short-lived, casual, no work, just play. Now, what happens when we take God's perfect union and his design and we completely butcher it? 
Well, the output of all of these various equations when we swap out the subjects and the objects and all that stuff looks a lot like this. Mental illnesses, anger, callousness, damaged self-worth, depression, fear, gender dysphoria, trust issues, PTSD. We also have sexual abuse and sex crimes, pedophilia, child pornography, bestiality, sex trafficking, molestation, rape, murder, and abortion. We have also divorce, broken homes, poverty, prostitution, sexually transmitted diseases, same-sex attraction, and uh, sex-infused racism. I thought this was just a podcast about dating. Well, it is, and this is how it all connects. All of this starts with who you are courting and dating. God designed us to be with one person, so choose that person wisely. Don't give sex away when you are courting and dating. Sex was created to be an intense connection between man and woman who are completely joined together forever. Your spirit is connected to your body. When husband and wife come together spiritually and physically, there is a union that creates a wall that protects the couple. When you have sex casually, like in a standard dating relationship, you are joining to a person not only physically in that moment, but you are making a connection to them spiritually, a connection that was never made to be broken or severed. So when that is ripped apart, you are no longer whole because someone took a piece of you that you can never get back. All of this stuff happens when you swap out what God intended marriage a union between man and wife to be. He intended sexuality to be in a marriage, not outside of a marriage, not used for pleasure, not used to hurt someone, not used for temporary satisfaction. He created it for it to be used in a marriage between husband and wife. All of these equations happen when we take something that is meant to be in a covenant relationship and we use it for something we want. Not only does sex devastate your dating life, it perpetuates all of the issues that I mentioned above. Sin has ripple effects and when we make foolish choices in this area, in relationships that affect other people, it has perpetual consequences for everyone around us. Just because you can't physically trace the line back to you, it doesn't mean that the connection is not there. All right, so I put some questions on my Instagram story asking if anyone had any dating questions. And so we had a few and I just uh, wanted to run through them really quickly and how they kind of applied to the podcast uh, today. So one of the questions is being... Is being exclusive the same as being in a relationship? So exclusivity is a prerequisite for a serious relationship. Anything that is not deemed exclusive is not biblical. When you date in a secular way, things are hidden or there are reserves uh, about the relationship and that has a lot to do with exclusivity. So in a biblical relationship, you are not questioning whether you guys are exclusive or not because you know uh, because you aren't hiding your relationship you are completely committed to this person and you have already decided that when you date in a secular way 
There is just no certainty, um, and that's probably why your relationship is not exclusive. So just something to think about. When does a relationship get toxic? Um, a relationship gets toxic when it causes you to sin in action, in thought, and in your heart. How do you build a relationship with God together? I believe that reading with them every day and getting into that grind of like, I want to know Jesus and I want to know the Lord, uh, just purely for what the Bible says he is, everything kind of falls into line after that. You begin to pray with one another, you begin to go to church with one another, and it's not this awkward, weird thing that like culture has made it out to be. It becomes very enjoyable because you are both trying to find out about your creator together. And so I highly encourage uh, building a relationship with God together through reading scripture, studying the word of God, and then everything else will follow. Should cheaters be given a second chance? So in marriage, yes, God took back Israel uh, when she played the harlot with little g false gods. However, in a relationship, you are not committed fully to that person for life and so you have no obligation to stay with them and my question is uh should you stay with them should they even be in a relationship i think that if they can't commit in a dating relationship i don't think that they can commit in marriage when is the appropriate time to ask someone to move in with you marriage uh, living together prior to marriage invites sin and temptation i don't care how convenient it is um, unless you have separate rooms how big of a role should sex be in a relationship or dating zero that's easy uh, <laughs> when do you start introducing your person to the people you're close with i think that as soon as you admit in your heart that this is someone you want a future with they should already be introduced to your friends and family because at that point you have no doubt right how do you get ready to meet your partner's family. Uh, I would say be honest with yourself. Um, of course, you're going to be nervous. You shouldn't be nervous, though, if you have something to hide. So if you're nervous because you're hiding something, you probably shouldn't meet them. But if you're nervous just because you want them to like you, then just be yourself because at the same time, everyone in your partner's life, in your girlfriend's life, in your boyfriend's life, they are going to to be in your life in the future if you are in a courtship so you should be honest be yourself and if it doesn't work out then it doesn't work out and that's totally okay too when should you say i love you i really 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 don't think you should say that you love someone if you don't understand fully what love is um and if you don't fully know whether you love them this goes back to what does love mean? And so I, I had mentioned that culture really does twist what the meaning of love is. And so when we throw the word love around, uh, it distorts its value. And so I would just really encourage anyone listening to be very cognizant of who you say I love you. Too. The reality of relationships is this. God didn't bring man and woman together for them to be happy, but for them to become holy, devoted people together for God and so that they can love and serve one another. 
you aren't supposed to bank your happiness on your partner. No one is supposed to control your emotions in that way. The question I leave with you today is, what are the fruits of your dating life? If your dating life was a tree, either in your current relationship or your history, what are you producing in your relationship? Is it God honoring? See you next time and God bless.